As was mentioned earlier at the outset of the announcements, we are certainly appreciative and thankful for the presence of everyone this Lord's Day afternoon. We're certainly delighted for the opportunity that we've each been given to assemble and to open a portion of the Word of God, to give our attention and our thoughts to it for the next few moments, as well as to sing these lovely songs of adoration and praise to God. And as was mentioned previously as well, not only the membership, but we're certainly th happy and thankful for the visitors that have come our way tonight. And we trust that the service will be an uplifting and encouraging one for each and every one of us. One other thought that was presented briefly earlier had to do with our upcoming gospel meeting here at Pippin. It's certainly something to which we've looked forward. It's something that's on our calendar. It's something we've been announcing for quite some time. And it is something that will form in many ways the theme of the lesson tonight. As you can see, I've entitled it A Gospel Meeting. In as much as that meeting begins some two weeks from today, and although it certainly will involve a great deal of investment in terms of effort, a great deal of investment in terms of other attributes related to it, it certainly would seem worthwhile to at least devote a few moments using the Word of God as our guide with an effort and an attempt to understand why it is we have one, the goals and the objectives we hope to accomplish, and the character of what may come about as a result of it. For all those reasons, perhaps some introductory thoughts might well be in order. These thoughts might well begin as follows. When we, in fact, consider a gospel meeting, or in fact, in many ways, almost any gospel endeavor, we certainly have in mind the thought that for those that are faithful Christians, that that endeavor, this gospel meeting, will be a time of encouragement, a time of enrichment, a time to, in fact, rev us onward and forward in our service faithfully to the God of heaven. We each, of course, are in need of encouragement from time to time, and thankfully the Word of God provides it. And certainly, as Brother Sims will be with us, sharing those lessons he's prepared, those thoughts he's developed, we look forward to those of us as Christians being enriched and prodded forward to greater service. We read in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We each, of course, look forward to that growth that will come. But let's be quick to say this. There may well be those, and we trust and hope that there are, that are not faithful. Those who either have never obeyed initially the precious gospel plan of salvation, or those who perhaps have obeyed it but have veered off into the path of apostasy. They've become unfaithful. We too, however, wish for them to understand that the gospel meeting will be a time of urgency, a time of warning, a time of reminding them if they're wayward what they've missed, where they've come to and where they need to come back. For those who have never obeyed the gospel, we truly hope too that they will be prompted to think seriously and soberly about their condition and that they will render obedience while the opportunity and the time is theirs. All that at the top of that slide brings us to this. Brother Sims, as he no doubt already has begun to make extensive preparation for the lessons, the thoughts that will go into them, the way he will deliver them, we each, of course, as membership here at Pippin, should appreciate not only those goals for ourselves, but let's devote the rest of the time tonight to think of these added benefits that also come from a gospel meeting. These benefits, we might well begin in the following way. First of all, would you give some thought for the next few moments to the attribute of brightness as it's presented in the Word of God? Brightness is quite often such a lovely and penetrating concept, isn't it? 
After all, inasmuch as it stands so opposed to darkness, it is a frequent comparison tool used in the sacred scriptures. You'll notice some of the passages I would invite you to consider with me. And the first one I would invite us to read together is in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. In this particular location, the inspired apostle, the peerless Paul, devoted some verses to remind the church in Corinth some features and some matters that were of such great importance. But I would ask you to think with me about them as well in light of this upcoming gospel meeting. Beginning reading with me in verse 4, if you would. "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not." lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And there we notice immediately that Paul made reference to the fact, verse 4, that there is a God of this world, but He's blinded the eyes and the minds of so many, multitudes. But in contrast, he quickly noted in verse number 4, that God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, as he explains, with the precious and glorious knowledge of the light of Jesus Christ our Lord. You and I have in our possession... The tremendous blessing, the remarkable feature, in fact, associated with the brightness of the gospel. This world, we understand, is overwhelmed so often by choosing the wrong path, doing that which is opposed to the will of God, acting and behaving in conduct and in ways that not only God has condemned, but are truly hurtful and damaging to others. But we find that Jesus has provided to us in the blessed word of the gospel that brightness. Isn't it true in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, that Christians are compared to a city set on a hill? Those, in fact, who not only are described that way, but in addition to that light that can give light to all that are in the house. And then he culminates all of that in verse 16 by saying, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The brightness then that is available in the gospel is so desperately needed in the world about us. That brightness is perhaps also to be seen as we even turn back to the opening book in the Bible. Consider with me the book of Genesis for just a moment. The opening proclamation in Genesis began like this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Pausing at that point to note this. There was a state of darkness, a state of being void, a state of emptiness, if you please, a state of being undone, a state of inadequacy. But then we notice the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And we furthermore appreciate that there was the command then that there should be light. And suddenly the darkness was dispelled. Suddenly things were different. And suddenly from day one onward there was order brought out of chaos. There was order and propriety brought out of that which was undone and inappropriate. Might we say, aren't things somewhat similar here? Just as surely as... 
we remember the greatness of the activity of that second member of the Godhead in forming that creation. We notice there he brought order and light. And isn't it still true, based on 2 Corinthians 4, that in the midst of a world of darkness, He still brings light, and He still makes it available, and He still allows you and me to be the precious bearers of it, the brightness of the gospel. You and I have it at our disposal, and how wonderful it would be to share it in this gospel meeting as well as other times with those who come and be with us and those whom we have opportunity to influence and to also impact. In Romans 10, verse number 15, the inspired apostle writing on a different location had these words to say as he spoke about the preciousness of the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. We recognize that it is still the case that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Brother Sims, we've invited and he's accepted our invitation to come and be our proclaimer during the course of this meeting. And as he proclaims the gospel of peace, he will proclaim a gospel of brightness. A gospel that can dispel discouragement and hopelessness in the lives and minds of those who will be here to hear those lessons. Doesn't it also prompt our thinking toward Ephesians chapter 2 when we also encounter another circumstance related to the matter of hopelessness? I think it fair to say that we each can at least consider how sad a state it is when a state is hopeless. You and I have been reared and we typically go about our daily walk in life thinking that there's always a way to make a situation better and there's always hope for improvement. And there's always a desire to make things more notable and more right. But yet when that state comes, that's described as hopeless. It crushes our spirit. It dampens our enthusiasm. It causes us to have inward anxiety. Maybe we have had the unfortunate circumstance to hear from a doctor. I'm sorry. I have prescribed all the medicine I can. I'm afraid it's hopeless. Maybe we've been in a circumstance, perhaps not as serious as the one I just mentioned. Maybe with regard to our car that we have enjoyed using so long, and finally the mechanic says, I've done all I can do. It's now hopeless. Maybe in light of those examples and otherwise, how refreshing it is to notice Ephesians 2 verse 12. When we begin with an element of darkness to see this, that there was a group of people these to whom the inspired apostle was writing, and it says that they were hopeless. They were without God. They were, in fact, strangers from the covenants of promise. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. It's at then that he says, having no hope and without God in the world. These individuals to whom the inspired apostle was writing thus were in a very sore circumstance indeed. But then in the very next verse he says, But you who were afar off have now been made nigh by the blood of Christ. What brightness is there in that? What joy is there in that? Thus this brightness that we've seen in the gospel only brings us to make the next observation for the lesson tonight. For not only is there brightness, there also is joy. In the midst, again, of a world so often not knowledgeable of joy, and so often that abides without it, and so often strives to make its way despite not having it, we recognize that in the gospel we have a far better thing than that.
It is true, isn't it, that this world affords its pressures, it affords its challenges, its difficulties, its decisions. Oftentimes our pathway is cluttered with persecution and hardship. But nonetheless, in the gospel, isn't there joy? You and I recognize that because of the nature of the Christ and the blessings that we enjoy in Him, there truly is a joy that is almost unspeakable in the sense that it etches forward and inward to the very heart of an individual and can transform him or her such that they truly understand this world is not their home. And they can look forward to an opportunity and a time when the great glory of all eternity shall be appreciated and understood. With regard to joy, consider some of these thoughts with me. As I've tried to highlight on that particular slide, man is a master, isn't he? at making the choices that so often are wrong. We enjoy attempting to encourage and instruct our youngsters and our children that they might grow up with an element of common sense and wisdom so that they can make the proper choices. But yet we each know that so easy, isn't it, to choose the thing that's bad. And we, even as older ones and adults, are masters at that as well. But you'll notice that so often as those difficulties come, what a contrast it is to hear some statements like these. The book of Philippians is the one to which I would turn your attention for the next moment or two. The book of Philippians is one that only has four chapters in it. Nestled in the heart of the New Testament, it is, however, such a refreshingly positive and joyous book. And yet all the while, the gentleman who wrote it the one who was behind that inspired revelation was one who himself was in rather dire circumstances. There are some four prison epistles in the pages of the New Testament. That is to say, epistles penned by Paul, delivered through him when he himself was in prison, and one of them is the book of Philippians. One would perhaps expect then that in that book there would be many references and many statements to the hardships that he was experiencing to the difficulties of being imprisoned, to the persecutions that he had borne, to the terrible difficulties and oppressions and afflictions that had encumbered his way. And yet, although there are but very few of them, the far greater central theme of Philippians is joy, isn't it? Rejoice always in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, Philippians 4.4. 4. We notice in Philippians 3.1, rejoice in the Lord. We notice also in Philippians 1.25, Paul, as he had begun that book, made careful recollection of the fact that it was better for him to depart and to be with Christ. But he said it was more needful for me to remain. And then in verse 25, he said, It shall bring joy to you. It shall be a part of fulfilling that joy for me to remain and to continue my labors in the gospel. As we give some thought to this gospel meeting coming up, it is true, isn't it, that we have the opportunity to share the message of joy. Brother Sims, as well as all of us, as we are able to share friendliness with those who come our way, our visitors, our guests, even our membership alike, we will be able to, in fact, show them the joy that we understand and that we know in the concourse of the gospel. That, I suspect, will be an overwhelming positive thing for so many. The burdens and difficulties can so easily be washed aside as we give thought to the joy that's ours. That word joy, it is so short, isn't it? J-O-Y. 
And of course, it forms in many ways a basis for the word rejoice. And yet we find those words so often used within the pages of the New Testament. I mentioned Paul earlier that while in prison, he wrote this book that so frequently makes mention of joy. And even later, that last book that we have, at least from his hand in the New Testament, that book of 2 Timothy, that it too, even in such a powerful way, makes its closure as we give vision to a man who was based squarely and firmly upon his steadfast faithfulness to the gospel. And that he felt an inward tranquility, an inward satisfaction, and an inward trustworthiness toward the duties that Christ had given to him. Did he not say in that very book, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day? 2 Timothy 1.12 For all those reasons, the attribute of joy, I suspect, is one that you and I can use to great advantage as we share it with others that come our way in the period of this gospel meeting shortly before us. To speak about joy and to speak about the attributes that we can share, such as hopefulness, brings us to yet another. Perhaps you are expecting us to come to this one at some point in the lesson, and that time has now come. Of course, as we give thought to a gospel meeting, one of the central things that rests upon our mind is the proclamation of the one and only message that can save the souls of individuals. The one and only declaration that can, through their obedience to it, preserve their souls into everlasting life. What about the attribute of salvation? In Romans 1, verses 16, 17, and 18, we encounter this rather impressive statement. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And immediately as Paul began that epistle to the Romans, he reminded them so incredibly that it was the gospel and it alone that contains God's power to save. For it is God's power to save. And today nothing in that light has changed it is still the one and only message that can save the souls of individuals. And for that reason, we look forward to the opportunities to share, to declare, to proclaim it, and to set it forth. And Brother Sims, as he makes preparation, shall do that very thing. We, of course, are delighted that God has given us the privilege of sponsoring and hosting this gospel meeting so that we can set forth those precious words of salvation. You'll notice not only in Romans chapter 1, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, near the beginning of that epistle as well. Paul began it with these words, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God." You see, we long for others to appreciate and know that same salvation that we've come to appreciate. And we look forward to sharing it just as Paul and James and Peter and so many others of the New Testament era did. As we appreciate the thoughts concerning that, no wonder we see the marvelous hopefulness to be found in Colossians 1.23, the hope of the gospel. 
the loveliness that you and I have. We often understand that as Christians, there are many things in our daily walk of life that we can employ to present some attribute of God's blessings. There are the various talents and abilities He's given us, the opportunities to serve and labor in the ways we can, but above it all, the opportunity to share the muse of salvation. In 1 Peter 4.11, we read, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And we trust that as that takes place, those oracles of God will redound unto gloriness and will redound unto the goodness found in the message of the, of the gospel. Beyond all of that, we might also appreciate this. The word of truth, highlighted in Ephesians 1.13, reminds us that the gospel is that word of truth. One of the other things that will be true about this meeting, of course, is that individuals that are in attendance will have the opportunity to come face to face with the truth. The world has so much misinformation. The world has so much deception. It has so much that deceives. And yet, you and I, as the gospel is proclaimed, can present the truth to them. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth, 1 Timothy 3.15. The nature of that truth perhaps reminds us of this. Paul stated, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16 Paul considered it an obligation, a duty incumbent upon him that he would take that liberty to share to those precious souls in such dire need the one and only message that can save them. That does prompt us to think perhaps about the words of a poem that poet in the long ago penned a given poem, and its name I do not know. Neither do I know the name of its author. But the poem went like this. Out of this world I'm unable to take things of silver and gold that I make. All that I cherish and all that I keep I must leave behind when I fall asleep. I often wonder what I shall own in that other world where I go alone. What shall they hear and what shall they see in the soul that answers the call for me? Shall the great judge commend when my task is through, my spirit for gaining great riches too? Or at the last shall it be mine to find? All that I've worked for, I've left behind. How tragic to think about the efforts and the labor that goes along with a lifetime and then to leave it all behind, whereas we have the joyful message of salvation. Should we not be excited about sharing it? Should we not, in fact, consider it a noble responsibility and a terrific degree of wonder in regard to it. You'll notice perhaps beyond all of that, that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 3. It is in light of those thoughts that we've shared so far this evening that perhaps this slide also is worthy of our consideration. We've talked about the joyfulness and the hopefulness and the salvation that relates to the gospel. But as we think about ourselves in relation to this gospel meeting, might we ask some questions along this line? It was Jesus in that reading that was read in our hearing earlier from Matthew 28 that said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." We often call that the Great Commission. There is a version of it in the Gospel according to Mark, a version of it in the Gospel according to Luke, 
And that great commission has been the marching orders for Christians for centuries now. Jesus began it, though, in, these, in this way. All authority has been given to me. He has all of it. And in that sense, He has now gave us the commandment to do this. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. We have the opportunity in this meeting to do that. To be a part in its proclamation. To be a part in the carrying out of that effort. And as we do that, some of these verses are the very ones I would invite you to consider with me. You and I have been entrusted with the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse number 4. Because of that entrusting, because of that great effort and that tremendous blessing that's been given us, we now have the obligation, since we're entrusted with it, to proclaim it, to do something with it, and to in fact let it be known as those that we invite come our way. Are you and I being dutiful recipients of that gospel? Are we considering the trustworthiness well? A steward, we're told in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, must be found faithful. Are you and I faithful as we give thought to the upcoming meeting? What about our prayers? Have we been praying for the success of it? I'm thankful that in the collective efforts of our assemblies, we've been praying for the gospel meeting. And I'm sure our elders alike are certainly encouraging that. What about each of us on an individual basis? Are we continuing earnest and instant in prayer? Paul, on more than one occasion, admonished those to whom he wrote, Pray for us that the gospel may have free course. He solicited the prayers of brethren that he might be able to preach powerfully and boldly and appropriately. May we also pray for Brother Sims that way. May we pray also for the success of the meeting inasmuch as the gospel will be proclaimed in its purity, in its power, and in all of its majesty. Beyond that, might we give thought to this. We certainly do hope that those in attendance who are not faithful members, we do hope that they will listen with attention. We hope that they will hear with care. We hope not only that they will hear, but they will believe what is proclaimed as they check it carefully against the revealed will of God. We also hope that they will in fact make that personal decision to leave the world behind, to leave the devil behind, to leave the thoughts of this life and all the carnality with it, and to have their life transformed into the nature of Christ. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. We know that messages like that will redound often from this pulpit as we're each charged and challenged to turn our attention to things above. In Mark 8, verses 36 and 37, we read this series of questions prompted by Jesus Himself. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? We each can appreciate that that places an extraordinarily high value, doesn't it, on the spirit, that soul of man. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What a terrible thought to think about a person who's lived his or her life and then on that day of judgment is found lacking, is found wanting, is found disobedient. At that point, without question, that person would happily exchange any and everything in this life for faithfulness to the Master because at that point, all hope is lost. No further opportunity for obedience. No further opportunity to make things right. No further opportunity 
to make any changes. Do we not read in Hebrews 9, 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, that incredible day of judgment, a part of this upcoming gospel meeting clearly has that day of judgment in view. Because you and I are aware that that day of judgment will be a day of great rejoicing for some, but it'll be a day of great tragedy for so many others. It reminds us, doesn't it, the book of Amos. That little minor prophet Amos in Amos 5 verses 18 to 20, he very clearly said in that long and ancient day, the day of the Lord is a day of darkness and gloominess. Why? Because God's wrath was coming on the disobedient coming on the unprepared, coming on those who had not repented and done the works that Amos and the other prophets had given them to do. And for that reason, God's wrath was coming and Amos pr proposed that it was going to be a day of great darkness. May we suggest that there will also be a tremendous day of proverbial darkness as it comes to that day of judgment when many will be found wanting and lacking. In Matthew chapter 7, Verses 21 and following. Jesus said, Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Isn't it still the case then that not everyone that simply says the name of the Lord will be saved, but they need to become aware of that truth, develop it in their lives, grow in maturity to the Master, and serve Him faithfully until death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. All of that perhaps brings us near the conclusion of our lesson this evening. And those questions at the bottom of that slide are still pertinent questions for each of us. We mentioned prayer a moment ago. Perhaps we can consider another one now. What about your intent and mine? Have we already begun to make some arrangements and plans so that we can be in attendance? Or are we going to happily allow our calendar to become full with non-essential matters and just not be here? As we attempt to encourage and support our meeting, may we desire and also do so with great earnestness to show our support for it. But what about another question? Have we invited anyone to come and be a part of it? We as a congregation have sent flyers, I understand, or made a, at least available to some other congregations the thought that the meeting is coming. And we are happy that they will announce those matters and that others will be aware of it. But it still is true that some of the most powerful approaches are personal invitations. Have you and I invited our neighbors and our friends and our associates? Have we made, let them personally know how happy we'd be if they would come? Sometimes it is that very word that will prompt them to appreciate our concern for them and that they will, in fact, come. Perhaps one final appreciation. Have others witnessed the enthusiasm that is resident in you and me as we give consideration to our meeting? It's certainly the case that if we aren't enthused about it, it's unlikely anyone else will be. We charge and expect that Brother Sims is going to preach a bold and powerful series of lessons. And perhaps many of us have had the privilege of hearing him proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ in days gone by. And he will no doubt do the same again. But let us ensure that we, of course, in preparation will do our part as well, not only being in attendance, but encouraging others to do the same. 
we understand that if all this is in fact our lot, that our meeting will redound unto the glory of God and it will serve to encourage and assist many in their walkway of faithfulness. There is an opportunity though tonight. What about your life and mine? Are you a faithful member of the body of Christ? Have you had your sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb, Revelation 7, 14? Have you in fact positioned yourself in life in, under the safe confines of the wings of the one who can bear you safely to heaven? If you haven't done that tonight, why not think urgently and seriously about the situation of your condition and your soul? You need to render obedience this very night. You need to hear the blessed word of the truth which has been presented this evening in the words of the, the Bible. Believe Jesus with all your heart to be the Son of God. Repent of the sins in your life. Confess His great name as the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you haven't taken care of that, if you haven't attended to that need, why not tonight? Today is the day of salvation in the words of 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. If you have become a member of the body of Christ, having been faithfully baptized, but you began that journey of faithfulness but no longer are due to various and sundry pressures and difficulties, please think seriously about your condition and tonight. If you find yourself in that case, why not come back to your first love, Revelation 2.5? Why not come back and beseech the prayers of brethren to God on your behalf? just like what was done in Acts the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 20. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. Tonight, as we make further preparations for our gospel meeting, if there might be the need in the life of one or more in the audience this evening to come forward, we would invite you to come, and we would do so even now while together we stand and while we sing.